Ag State of Mind, episode 136. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. A proud member of the Global Ag Network, I am your host Jason Meadows. Today we go to the great state of South Carolina and talk to Jeff Sawicki. Jeff is a poultry farmer and doing things in a very regenerative way and it just is to show how... We, as farmers, we always try to want to be the biggest numbers, scale up as fast and as as big as we can, but uh, there's needs for smaller-sized operations, and uh, we need to understand that. And and I, I know I'm guilty of it, too, that we want to be as big and as productive as possible. But Jeff shows that there is another way that through regenerative small farming, there is a niche customer base where we can sell our products. And I think that's something that we all need to kind of step back and consider a little bit. And I appreciate Jeff reaching out to me wanting to be on the podcast to talk this very thing. Um, Before we get started here, I encourage all of you to go check out our email list. Uh, Email list is the way that I have been communicating news, what's going on with the podcast and all of our other ventures. Um, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes so you guys can go sign up there very easy. Um, And also you can find Jeff online. I will find all of his info and link it in the show notes. So, all right, here we go with my podcast episode with Jeff Sawicki. All right, Jeff Sawicki, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. Thanks for joining me this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jason, and, and thanks for everything uh, you've done for farmers. And uh, I've been learning a lot listening to your podcast. So excited to kind of be on the other side of it. Well, thanks for reaching out, man. That's like one of, and I've said this many times, one of the greatest things that can happen to me as a podcast host is having people just reach out and want to be on the podcast because that takes away some work from me from finding guests. And whenever I started the podcast, that was one of my greatest fears was not having enough guests to keep it flowing. And uh, through, I mean, situations just like this, I have been very fortunate to have have enough content to keep it going week after week. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I'm happy to contribute um, what I can, you know, and hopefully, hopefully folks will learn a little something and, and get something out of this. So. Sure. So tell me, you know, you're you're in Charleston, South Carolina, or around there. Tell me a little bit about your operation and what you do, and you know, we'll get into the details after that. Yeah, so I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. We have a small farm. It's only about nine acres, but in actuality, I started I started farming only about two acres, um, 
and started out with um, poultry, raising uh, pastured poultry. This will be our sixth season. And I guess the, you know, the long or the short of it is it was really a challenge. You know, it was tough getting going. I bought some birds, raised them in the backyard, moved them around every day in a little chicken tractor. And, you know, it was, it was fantastic. I love the process. I love, you know, just growing good, clean food for my family. And, and everybody loved it and said it was some of the best chicken they ever had. And, and I just started with those 25 chickens. And then shortly after that, I started raising some chickens and I got some ducks. And then within about six months, I had, you know, 600 ducks in the backyard. And my wife was like, wow, this really, uh, this really grew fast. <laughs> you know? So and, literally uh, 600 ducks? Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, I just loved the whole process, you know, seeing the birds you know, eat grasses and bugs. And it was, you know, you could tell there was more flavor to it. You know, kind of like, I compare it to kind of like grass fed beef, you know, is a little bit more flavor, a little bit leaner uh, than, you know, than commercially raised beef. So I kind of, you know, allude to grass fed poultry. We still give them some feed, but it was, it was, it's been quite a learning curve. And in the beginning, you know, like I said, we I scaled up pretty quickly, and there was a lot of challenges with that. You know, one was you know trying so many different things and trying, you know, throwing so many different things at the wall to see what would stick. And you know, we tried. In addition to poultry, I was raising pigs, and we were growing vegetables. I even tried fairing pigs, and and we were marketing weaned pigs to other farmers for a period of time. And so I was trying lots of different things and, and really it was becoming difficult to manage it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. in addition, it was becoming pretty costly. You know, I was running up about $80,000 in debt on my credit card. And that's tough. You know, I was still working full time off the farm mm-hmm. and spending all of my time on the farm. And whenever I wasn't at work, I'd be you know trying to put out fires and do everything I could on the farm. And so I really didn't have much time for my wife, for my kids and and then I had this big debt financial burden was standing on my shoulders, putting pressure on me. And yeah, there was a couple of years, two, three years there that were really, really hard, but kind of stuck through it and started to um, figure out how to make this thing work. And this past year, we really hit our stride and we are going to gross close to 200,000, basically on seven acres, just raising poultry. And so we've done really well. And, and there's a couple of things that are really, I think, instrumental to that success. And, you know, I'm hoping to, to share with other people. My first question to you, when I hear your story, did you grow up in this at all? Did you have an agriculture <laughs> background? No, um, didn't. I was uh, working a corporate job in retail, actually. And we bought some land out in a rural area and you know nine acres which wasn't a lot but we moved out there and I knew that I wanted to you know try to grow some food for us so I wanted to raise some chickens and start a garden do some of this kind of stuff just kind of for personal use was the only was the intention and as I started learning more about agriculture and and learning more about how to grow food I really got excited about it and seeing the potential with you know regenerative agriculture and how not only we're growing great food, but then we can increase our soil fertility and, you know, do good things for the environment and sequester carbon and, and all this stuff just made sense, you know, and, you know, help build habitat for wildlife at the same time. And I was like, this is, this is a win-win. Um, 
And so really got hooked on this whole regenerative agriculture thing and read all the, every book I could find and learning as much as possible. And that's really what hooked me in, but, but no agricultural background, <laughs> no formal training whatsoever. I was just trying to learn everything I could, you know, reading this snippet, this article here, this book there, you know, watching this YouTube video there and trying to piece it all together, which I found did help at times, but also, you know, it can kind of be very distracting. And, you know, at the same time, I felt like I was going many different directions at the same at once. And so I really had to figure out, you know, I needed to buckle down and kind of have a plan and, and better direction if I'm a, if I'm going to stay afloat and keep doing this thing. Sure. No. And uh, the reason I ask is, and the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I think a lot of people, when it comes to agriculture, and this is in my part of the country, my part of the world, which things might be a little different, but I think the concept and principles are the same. Most people think that you just can't go get started from nothing, right? They don't think that you can just go and, and start small and then build your way up. They think that you have to inherit wealth or inherit land or start working for somebody else and then form like a junior partnership type deal and move in that way. But you showed that you it can, it's, it's challenging, it's hard, it takes up a lot of your time, a lot of your energy, but it can be done to just start it on your own. Yeah, hundred percent. And and that's one of the big things that I like to share with people is that this can be done and you can scale it up uh, gradually as you grow and you don't need a lot of investment. Um, I, I spent a lot of money and wasted a lot of time trying to figure it out, but I'll give you a good example. I had at the time I was only farming on about two of the acreage we had, the acres we had because the rest of it was all very wooded and dense. Mm -hmm. And there was a neighbor who has a field about seven acres and he wasn't doing much with it. Um, I didn't see him really plant it every now and then he'd, he'd kind of mow it, you know, cut the, the weeds with the tractor, but that's about all I ever saw him do. And so I approached him and said, Hey, you know, I'm kind of running out of space. I got all these birds. Could I bring them over to your place? Would that be okay? And I, you know, kind of told him, Hey, you won't have to mow anymore. They'll basically uh -huh. mow the grass for you and they'll add some, manure on your soil and kind of increase your fertility at the same time and he said yeah sure and i said okay great you know and i said well we can work out a lease deal you know whatever you want you know whatever you think is fair you know i'll be happy to pay you he said no no he said you don't need to pay me anything he said i'm i'm just happy to see you know the land being used so we basically lease you know about seven acres of his property for free essentially and I think there's a lot of those opportunities out there when people, you know, if you, if you go out there and knock on doors and make some connections, you know, I think there's a lot of people, particularly as you see the average age of the farmer in, in America is getting older and older that have spare land they aren't doing anything with and are just happy to see it go to good use. So even if you don't have land or, or you don't have a lot of capital, you can, you can start with the, you know, poultry is a great, you know, mm -hmm. I, I like to call it a gateway drug into <laughs> yeah, farming yeah, because yeah. you start with a few chickens and the next few days you're raising pigs and cattle and you know, doing everything else. So, so, but it's a great way to start and you, and you don't need a lot to do it. So I was, I'm curious, did you have, like when you started, did you have like, did you have something in mind other than poultry? Like, did you want to go like straight to beef or straight to hogs or straight to lambs or 
was that your plan all along was to start with poultry? Yeah, I started with poultry just because it seemed the the simplest to get into. And then um, it wasn't long before we we were, you know, we got some pigs and we're raising uh, pigs and we're rotating them through different paddocks. And then, you know, we're raising other types of poultry. So we started raising geese and we did turkeys and we did ducks and we did chickens. And you know, we were looking into getting sheep at one time and kind of wanted to do it all, but then realized, hey, you know, let, let's slow down. You know, that's when things were kind of getting out of hand. I was overwhelmed. I was, you know, out of money and, and mm-hmm. out of time and out of energy. And I said, let's, let's slow down. Let's, let's work on one thing, you know, get it to where it's productive and to where it's functioning well, and then, you know, move from there. And, and so I just focused on the pastured poultry and then, and we really got that nailed down. I feel like. No, it's that's that's and and it's incredible to, to do. And it made me think. I was flipping through this book I'm reading right now, and it kind of says, kind of encapsulate. I read something today, and it kind of encapsulated what you were just talking about, and said it's. Let me let me find exactly where it says. It says there are people whose expertise exceeds your own, and you should be wisely pleased about that there are many valuable niches to fill given the many complex and serious problems we must solve and i think what that means is is we do we we want so bad to go straight from nothing to being the most productive being the biggest flashiest thing but in reality it doesn't really work like that you do have to start with some chickens in your backyard before you can ever go and have a couple hundred cows or something like that or whatever, whatever it may be. I'm just using that as an example. And I, I think that is lost so much in today's society is we see the big flashy, shiny things and we feel like we deserve that or we should have that because somebody else, but uh, we don't really know where those people started. And you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of showing that like, Yes, you do have to start and be very humble at the beginning and make some mistakes and and learn and build on those. And it shows you that you can get past those and uh, it doesn't all come overnight. Yeah, I think that's you hit it on the head there. Yeah, I think a lot of our society is kind of trained to this instant gratification with the Internet and you can order things on Amazon or Walmart and have it to your house in two days, you know, anything you want. And so, yeah, I think we've been kind of accustomed to that instant gratification type mindset. But but, yeah, when you're starting a business, especially when it's an agricultural business, you know, you really have to do the work, put in the hard time and, you know, do the hard work and take it slow. You know, you can't do it all. You know, of course, in the beginning, you're wearing all the hats. You know, you have to be the the marketer, the salesperson, the accountant, mm-hmm. you know, the repairman, you know, you have to do it all. But I have learned gradually, the hard way, stubbornly, <laughs> that <laughs> I can't do it all. Right. And there's there's somebody out there that's better than me mm-hmm. in a lot of those mm-hmm. different things. And it's it'll serve me much better to focus my energy and my time on on things that I can do well and and find somebody you know for something that i don't do well or don't like to do whether that's you know sales or whatever it may be or social media find that person that that does that well and and enjoys that and and bring that person in and and that you know that goes a long way 
Yeah. And it's hard. Like it's hard to humble yourself. It's hard to admit that, you know, I'm the, I'm at the bottom of this hierarchy. I'm at the bottom of this, uh, maybe the, maybe I'm less talented or, or whatever it may be than these people that I'm trying to emulate, but you need to shift your mindset around that and say, no, I want to use these people as a goal. I want to them, instead of being jealous of them, instead of being resentful of them, I want to use them to inspire me and um, use them as a goal and kind of uh, help them drive me. And it's all about a change in mindset. And I think you can, you can apply apply mindset to so many things. And, uh, I think in, especially in agriculture, it's, uh, it's a really true place where you can put those principles of mindset to work very, very effectively. Yeah, I agree. So many things come down to that. You know, in the beginning I was personally trying kind of struggling with, you know, what the charge, you know, mm-hmm. and I was looking mm-hmm. at how high my costs were to raise these birds and, and then, you know, I, I, the, it cost me more to raise my own birds, doing all the labor myself and not paying anyone than it would to buy chicken or, or a duck or something in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. It cost me more to actually produce mm-hmm. it, not including mm-hmm. labor, you know? Right. And so you know, you're wrestling with this and you're like, oh man, you know, my costs are so high. How am I going to charge? You know, how am I going to set my price on this? And how am I going to market this to people? And you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was a mindset thing. And I, you know, kind of had the realization that, you know, I have to do what makes sense for me to do this. You know, I'm, yes, I want to provide food for the, for the community, you know, for my neighbors. It's, it's, a, I think, you know, farmers are, are heroes. I mean, they do, they do so much hard work and they're right. amazing and it's a noble profession. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of noble professions out there. You know, mm-hmm. your dentist, your, your, your physician, your doctor, he, mm-hmm. he, he wants you to be well, right? Mm-hmm. He, that's a noble profession. He wants to cure people. But that still doesn't stop him from giving you a bill at the end of the day, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> He's still uh, charging you quite a lot of money for his time. And, and I think as farmers, we sometimes undervalue what we do in our, in our time because we feel like it's, it's a noble profession is the right thing to do. But you know, I'm taking time away from my family that needs me. You know, I, I'm I'm putting a lot on the line. You know, not just financially, but you know, you're risking a lot to to build this farm and put so much time and energy into it. And so, that was yeah. So for me, it was a big mindset shift that hey, I need to not look at what the grocery store is charging. Don't look at what the guy across town is charging for his poultry. I need to look at what my cost is and, and charge a price that, that works for me and says, okay, Hey, this is worth my time and, and my effort. So it's, you, you bring up, and I want to stay on this a lot, a little bit because the spirit of this podcast, and I think a lot of people listening to this podcast do have an entrepreneurial spirit or an, um, are active entrepreneurs. So in saying that, like, I, and I think you really brought up something that is a huge issue for people knowing their value. And so how, like, how did you get kind of over that hump of 
hey, this is what my time's worth. This is what my product's worth. This is what my effort is worth. And get to a place where, because let's face it, you said it yourself, your production costs are more than you can go buy a duck or a chicken for at the grocery store. But through the methods and through the care that you've done, you feel that that is worth worth more. So how to how did you start to relay that message to the consumers you serve? Yeah, you know, we we raise a very different product than what you would find in the grocery store. Yeah. And so that was key is recognizing what we're doing and, and how it's different and trying to relay that to our customer. So for example, you know, a lot of poultry is raised in, you know, commercial confinement, you know, chicken houses. Mm -hmm. And there's a place for that. You know, sure. they, they yeah. raise a no, very no, no. economical product, you know. Mm -hmm. But this is very different. I, I I didn't I didn't have the desire to to replicate that model. True. I think there's a lot of issues with it, not only from an environmental standpoint or 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 livestock health standpoint, but also just on the farmer. I mean, you you take a huge risk taking out a half a million dollar loan to build one of these things in the first place. And so with Passion Poultry, we're doing a very different thing. And we recognize that, hey, this is a very different product. The animals are staying clean and healthy, eating a lot of grasses and bugs and getting exercise and fresh air and sunshine. And we don't have to give them antibiotics or medications. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not something you can typically find in a grocery store. And it takes a lot more work mm -hmm. to move them every day outside. And, and then we also experience, you know, loss too, probably more so than you would if they were in a nice, safe, warm house. You know, they're exposed to the elements. They're, mm -hmm. you know, hot weather, cold weather, rain, snow, you know, predators, you name right. it. Yep. And so, you know, you start to understand why. <laughs> the big agricultural model, why they do some things that they do. Right. Like, hey, now it makes sense why they keep mm -hmm. chickens in a barn where they're nice and safe and warm, <laughs> but because sure. they don't have to deal with a lot of the challenges that I deal with. But at the end of the day, I recognize and I try to relate to my customers that this is a healthier product for you. You know, they have higher, you know, nutrients and levels of vitamins in them and, and you can really taste it in the flavor. And not everyone sees that and, and sees the value in that. But we've, fortunately found enough people that that do and appreciate what we do and, and appreciate you know our products and support us right and so i am unapologetically and staunchly a capitalist i believe my whole heart in capitalism and what you are saying is proving that capitalism works in the fact that there is a product out there that is mass produced that a farmer or even, I mean, obviously there's always a human element, but either a, either a farmer or a corporation, they have these chicken houses where they mass produce chicken and uh, they are able to do it to scale and to keep their per unit cost pretty low in comparison and thus giving a, the consumer a cheaper mass produced product at their grocery store. And like you and said, there's a person that needs that. Exactly. You know, that, that's, yes. that's in poverty or, you know, has, has exactly. you know, that doesn't have much income and that, that can, 
you know, that's what they can afford. Yes. Yes. And you, and, but what you're saying and what you're doing is saying, yes, there's a place for that, but there's also a demand a need. People are desiring a smaller scaled product, a smaller scaled, more involved, a regen, somebody who uses regenerative practices, there's a market for that. And you are doing what you are doing to capitalize on that. You're feeling a need, you're feeling a demand. And I think that's what's really important for what, what you're doing for people to understand is your product probably isn't for everyone, but it's for the people who desire it. It's for the people who want it. And obviously you would love for everybody to come and buy your stuff. Uh, wouldn't we all? The, the way the system works is you're going to find your people. You're going to charge what you're going to charge. You're going to say what your product's worth and you're going to bring people to you and people are going to be attracted to you because of how you do it and the kind of and I believe a lot of agriculture is capitalizing on relationships. I believe that we're more in the people and relationship business than we are in the cattle business or the chicken business or whatever it is. We're, we're, all of those transactions are between people. So I think the relationship side okay. of it is, is a, is the biggest side of what we do. And you're, you're doing that and forming a relationship with the consumer and, that they probably can't necessarily get at a big chicken house in Springdale, Arkansas or somewhere like that. Yeah, exactly. That's the key is, you know, making that connection with customers. And, you know, I have a website and, and we sell, you know, we, we, we sell a few orders online and, and we ship them, you know, sometimes to people I've never met, you know, mm -hmm. you know, a couple States away, but it's very rare. You know, it, it's, it's, and I think it's that human element that's missing. You know, they can, you know, they can see my pictures and read about what we do and that kind of stuff. But it, it, it's really different when, you know, you see Miss Jones at the farmer's market every Saturday mm -hmm. and you build that relationship and you tell them, okay, this is, this is what I would do. This is how I would prepare a duck. You know, I would sear the breast and, and, you know, take them off and then I would do the legs and I would slow cook them. And, and, you know, she says, okay, great. I'm gonna try it. And then she goes home and she tries it. And she comes back the next week. Hey, Ms. Jones, how was it? She, oh, it was fantastic. Thank you, Jeff, for that tip on how to cook it. And, you know, and that's really what brings those customers back. And, and that's made a huge impact. Uh, we've had success at the farmer's markets selling direct to consumer and then also in the wholesale realm selling director restaurants and chefs. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Kind of been the key for us. Uh, both great. those avenues. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I have a, you know, I have several friends who uh, sell beef and pork at, uh, at farmer's markets. And it's a, it's a totally different. And for us, it's very, where we're at, we're about an hour and a half Southwest of St. Louis. And they go to a lot, they, a lot of their customers are in St. Louis in the St. Louis area. And um, they're, they want that they desire that relationship with the producer and you know they can go and ask them questions and ask them how their animal was fed and treated and uh, I, I think that's that's really something and that's we're going to see a lot more of and and I think what the pandemic mm -hmm. has shown mm -hmm. is there's we've talked about this several times before with several other guests uh, is 
that's that's the model more people are going towards is having that relationship and whenever because we saw what happens when supply chain we're, I mean we're still seeing it what happens when supply chains break down Temple Grandin said that that supply chain or big supply chains are great when they work but they're very fragile so when you have smaller producers being able to fill that need when that bigger system gets broken for a while it's a very <laughs> very handy thing to have when people need fed yeah absolutely we um you know, you mentioned, you know, supply chains breaking down. We were focusing almost 98% of our sales direct to restaurants in the beginning. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. I was selling uh, whole ducks to chefs and restaurants. And in our area, we have a lot of restaurants. And uh, one of the first ones we worked with um, was McCready's Tavern. And there's a chef, uh, Sean Brock, who uh, was really instrumental in kind of starting the farm to table movement here in Charleston. And now he's really done a lot of stuff as far as um, expanding that farm to table model, you know, nationally, not just in Charleston, but that was one of the first places we, we were working with. And we had a lot of success and, and, and a lot of uh, happy customers and then COVID hit mm. and I had a freezer full of ducks and I couldn't sell them because oh, all the restaurants shoot. shut down. And it was like, okay, now what do we do? And we, you know, I knew that I needed to pivot and try something different. So I started attending a local farmer's market which is something I'd always wanted to do. It was, but it was always kind of on the back burner because mm-hmm. we were doing so much wholesale. And so I started doing the farmer's market. I said, okay, let's, let's do this farmer's market and see what happens. And it, it was a little bit slow in the beginning. I don't know how many people you know eat duck on a daily basis, but I don't know any. Not very many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> people might eat chicken three or four times a week. But they don't eat a lot of ducks, and that's right. primarily what we were we were doing. We also do Thanksgiving turkeys, but mostly ducks. And and so and and people that do buy ducks, a, a lot of times they're not cooking a whole bird. You know, they just want sure. the breast or they just want sure. the leg. So we started. Uh, there's a local commissary, a local kitchen, you know, a health inspected kitchen that I that I lease, and we can make some of these value added products like different sausages and cured meats and. We can make you know duck confit, and then we could take the bones and the leftover parts and the feet and make bone broth out of it. And so now I could sell those products for a much higher margin. And so we're increasing our sales, we're increasing our product offerings, and we found that a lot of people really like those prepared products. And so basically, we went from uh, you know wholesaling a bird, uh, you know for, and I think we're we were making wholesaling. Uh, our profit was like $10 a bird to mm-hmm. chef. And now we're making like $70 a bird once we broke it down to those value added products. And so what happens was we made a big shift because we were, our net margin or our net profit went up so much more at the farmer's market. Now I can raise fewer birds and it makes farming on small acreage much more feasible. And so we're grossing close to $25,000 an acre, you know, and I can raise fewer birds. So, you know, somebody who doesn't have a lot of land or, or just wants to lease a few acres from somebody can get started and, and do this and, and be successful doing it. No, and that's a huge thing. And, and the enjoyment that you must have from it, it's got to be very fulfilling, too. I know from the little bit of direct consumer I I sell. It's a very small, I'm 
less than 5% of my overall sales for my cattle businesses is direct to consumer sales. But the satisfaction that you get when somebody tells you how good your beef or in your case, poultry tastes. Yeah. It's very hard to beat that feeling. That's an incredible feeling that you have because it's, it's, because it's very personal, right? It's very personal to talk about some an animal that you cared for and you had stewardship over and to know that it, it went on to provide in a very enjoyable way for someone else. Uh, that's a sort for me, it's a source of immense pride and I'm sure it is for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's completely different from selling to like a chef or a restaurant. You know, they, they'll tell you, Oh, your product's great. I love them. But you know, that's just, you know, that's just one person, you know, they tell you that you don't see the the customers eating the dish, you know, what they right. think about it, mm-hmm. like you do when you're, you know, d- get that direct to consumer relationship. And so, yeah, it's amazing when people say, you know, how they liked it and how they appreciate what you're doing. It, it just re- reinforces, you know, what I'm doing and, and makes me want to keep doing it. And I think it's also great for the customer too, because, you know, we found that we've done very well at farmer's markets that are in a more metropolitan or urban area. And, you know, part of that may be because maybe they have a little bit more expendable income. I don't know. But I think the bigger piece about that is that these folks, you know, when you're living in a more of an urban area, things are fast paced. You know, they may be in a car or an apartment all day and don't really see any green space. You know, they, they don't have a beautiful, you know, rural drive home, you know, along oak line streets like I do when I go mm-hmm, home every day. Mm-hmm. And so them for them to go to a farmer's market, get some fresh air, talk to a you know, a farmer and buy their product, it's a way for them, I think, to connect and feel sure. like they're a part of something. And and to kind of be grounded and feel like they're part of something bigger and, and kind of kind of more connected if you will, you know, to the earth and to the, you know, to the outdoors and, and, and to farming and agriculture. And I think, you know, I think that's big for them, uh, you know, and I think that's a big piece of it, that relationship and, and what the customer gets from it as well. You know, it's funny. It's, you, you can always trace everything back. No matter, And I, we said this earlier in the relationships that you form, that's like the core part of anything we do as human beings is the relationships we form with others around us. And we can turn almost any conversation, you can always steer it in that direction. And I'm always fascinated by how that can always come around. Yeah, 100%. It's, you know, it's a great feeling when when people appreciate what you're doing. And and it it definitely gives me the motivation to keep doing and and keep trying and keep innovating and, and doing new stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me where, where can people find you? Where can people find you online? Where can they find what, uh, your, your product you've mentioned you sell across the U S tell us all about that. Yeah. So I touched on this a little bit. So we we're selling, uh, we have an online store and we sell across the U S um, it's a vital mission farm for folks that are interested, but, but what I'm, I guess what my, my my new focus, I guess, for this year, we're still doing the pastured poultry is my goal is to really 
share with others, you know, other people that are interested in agriculture, particularly if they're interested in starting a passion poultry operation, you know, how they can do this for a little to no startup cost, how they can scale it and how they can be profitable. And I think, you know, profit's kind of a, a dirty word that, you know, as farmers, we don't always talk about, but it's very important. Yeah, it's so important. You know, number it's, one, it's, if you're not profitable, you're not going to be in thing, business long. Yeah. Right. But but also because, you know, if, if you're you're not going to be in business very long if you're not profitable, but, you know, if, if you have a huge mountain of debt on your shoulders, that is such a such a weight. I mean, when mm-hmm. I had this debt and I was working hard every day and I was working two jobs, it was it was tough. You know, it was tough on my relationships with my family, you know, which I didn't see. And it was tough on me. I was stressed. And when you don't have those financial worries, then, you know, once we started getting things figured out and we we're productive and we we're profitable, then I was having fun again. You know, I was like, I, okay, this is fun. You know, yeah. no, this is enjoyable again. You know, <laughs> kind of had to go through the fire to get to the other sure. side. But, but a big driver, what I'm trying to do is, is teach other people how they can do this and, and do it affordably with not much startup costs, without even having land. And so that being said, I think there's a couple of keys to being successful in a farm. You need to have a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not distracted. You're not trying and, you know, like I did and buying the next shiny thing and doing so many different things. You need to start with minimal investment. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I did was I built a lot of our own infrastructure for very mm-hmm. cheaply. I did a lot of do-it-yourself, you know, feeders and waters and different things because I couldn't find a lot of this stuff commercially available. And so I was able to scale up as I grew uh, for very cheaply. And then you need to have a good sales strategy. And and ours was to market to chefs and restaurants and also to uh, do value-added products selling those at farmers markets. And so I put together a course for other folks that are interested in doing this, where I can teach them step-by-step, step, you know, follow, here's the plan, here's the outline, how you can be successful doing it. And the first step of that is choosing the right breed. And so folks, they can go to uh, farmingtribe.com backslash ag state, short for ag state of mind. And there I'll have a, there's a report there that'll give you, you just put your email in, it'll give you a free report on the top poultry breeds to start with, whether you want to raise them for meat or for eggs, it'll give you the top recommendations of what to use. Cause there are a lot of dual purpose birds out there, mm-hmm. which if you're farming poultry, you don't, you, I would recommend stay away from. If you're just doing it for yourself or a homesteading scale, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make money and do a business out of this, you need to give yourself the best edge you can. Sure. Have. Sure. You know, <laughs> farming's hard enough. Don't start, start off walking uphill. You know what I mean? There's so many things that are controlled. So start with great breeds and, and that will give you a list of some of the best breeds out there. And that'll get you linked into my, uh, you know, to my email list and, and you can learn more about, you know, how to start in your own, your own passion poultry business for, for cheap. Very cool. Well, I, I'm, I'm flattered that you are, uh, including us in that. That's very, very, very cool for uh, listeners of the podcast and I'm looking for, because the thing about it is there is, you can access so much with just a curious brain and 
that the the information is out there and you're showing that there's information out there and if you want to do something bad enough there are people like you who are helping other people figure it out and what a time to be alive uh, the fact that we can we can literally find out how to do anything and it's 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 really a cool thing that we have this access like this and i appreciate you sharing that just sharing that with everybody because it's very easy to have a scarcity mindset right and want to keep all those secrets keep all those things to yourself and keep them close to your vest because you don't want anybody to find out anything about how uh, you're doing things but when you adopt a an abundance mindset and we've talked about the abundance versus scarcity mindset on this podcast since the very beginning since episode two with mary joe Ehrman, we talk about when you have that abundance mindset you are able to just you're, you you fill your own cup up and then it overflows and other people are able to catch from your cup as well. And you make such a difference, such an impact than you would have if you just would have kept that to yourself. And you you end up by giving to more, you not only allow other people to have more, but you have more yourself and you feel more fulfilled. And that's, you're, you're a great example of that. And I, I appreciate that about you. That's that's great. That's very nice. Um, you you said that so eloquently. You, know, you put it put it very well. And and that's a big driver is just to you know I want to share um, not only the, you know some of the struggles that I went through because I went through some really you know tough times to help people kind of avoid you know those pitfalls that I fell into, but also to show them kind of here's the, here's the right way you can do it. You can avoid a lot of the, mm-hmm. uh, pitfalls that I fell into um, and. I, you know, that's what really drives me is, is, you know, help other people to get started. Cause I really feel like, you know, the more, I feel like small farms really are the future. Sure. I feel like, you know, independent producers are, are going to be more and more common. And, and I think it's a good thing. Um, I, I think agree. The more, more small farmers we have out there, the, the better off uh, the environment is the world, you know, the consumer, uh, the food has better quality. It's, I, I think it's just better all the world over. So the more, people we can have doing this kind of thing, you know, the better. I totally um, agree. Yeah. So, I, you know, happy to share what, what little knowledge I have, I have gleaned with others. <laughs> and that, oh, that's, you know, great. And I think that's the next, the next step, next driver for me. So awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Is there anything else you want to share before we close this up for the night? Yeah. I just want to say, you know, thanks for having me on and, and everything you've contributed. You know, I, I, I love it listen to your podcast and you've learned a lot just from listening with other interviews with that you've had with others on on the podcast about you know mindset and and you know, helped me through you know hurdles and roadblocks that i've faced and and so thanks for everything you do and yeah i'm happy to help if anybody is interested i'm also on well i'll give you the website one more time it's farmingtribe.com backslash ag state they can go get that free report of the best you know, chicken and duck breeds for meat and for eggs. And then, um, and then I'm also on Instagram and YouTube. You can always message me on there if you ever feel the need. It's Farmer Jeff Sawicki. And yeah, thanks again for having me on, Jason. Yeah, man. And we'll, we'll link all that stuff in the show notes so people can just click and find you. So, man, I appreciate it. This was fun. I learned a lot tonight. You know, chicken is something that I don't have a whole lot of experience with. And but 
to hear you talk about it and not just chicken you know i know you do duck and turkey too so poultry as a whole um it's not something i know a whole lot about so i appreciate you kind of teaching me and giving me some of the background of how you do it it was very enjoyable for me yeah i'm hoping next time i talk to you in a couple months you're gonna have some you know four or five hundred ducks in the backyard <laughs> i hope not <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife we'll see, right? we'll I, I don't know i don't know how my wife would uh would handle that one <laughs> yeah oh well thanks a lot jason yeah yeah man have a great night all right you too thanks for listening to ag state of mind we hope this episode has encouraged you be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.